Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, everybody, to Fruit Loops Season 2, Episode 3 of (laughs) the show. Thank you so much for listening. Now, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. That's right. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Mm -mm. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Mm -hmm. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. That's right. We can't stress enough how unqualified we are. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, this is the second part of our story about Maury Travis, also known as the St. Louis Video Strangler. If you haven't listened to part one yet, we suggest that you stop right now and Mm -hmm. go back and listen to that and then come back and listen to this. That's right. Ah, we're back. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) So, how you doing? (laughs) I'm doing good. (laughs) 
I saw uh, Bohemian Rhapsody over the weekend, and it was great. I can only imagine how awesome it was. Yeah, it was singing really along. Good. Um, sometimes I was. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I did not know that Freddie Mercury his his name wasn't Freddie Mercury. That's his no. stage name. Oh my! He, he was born. His name was uh, Farouk Bulsara. I think uh-huh. that's how it's pronounced. Uh-huh. And he was born in Zanzibar. Oh, off the coast of East Africa. <gasps> that's so interesting. And, yeah, he lived born. there <laughs> in Zanzibar and in India before moving to uh, the UK with his family. And he was of Parsi descent. Which, you know, I did Googling and went in some holes, but <laughs> as, <laughs> yeah, as far as I could figure out, it means that he's of Persian descent. Oh. But a specific group of Persians, Zoroastrians, it's a religion. Oh, and fascinating. Yeah, they migrated to India in the 7th century to mm-hmm. avoid religious persecution by the Muslims. Oh. Anyway... He was a person of color. I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> I didn't know that much about him at all. Uh the only thing I did know about him was that he he had a four octave vocal range and most singers only have about a two or three octave range. Oh my god. I am I am a huge Queen fan. Favorite Queen song. Ready. Go. <laughs> Mine is, <laughs> mine is, <laughs> sorry, I'm like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Chamber? <laughs> I'll start. Mine is, can anybody find me? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that was my, my theme song. Well, I was single for a very long time. Uh-huh. nobody would ever marry me, but, uh. <laughs> I'm not surprised, Wendy. (laughs) What what is your favorite Queen song? Um, I'm gonna have to go with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh yes, yeah, yes. Thank you to Wayne's World for introducing me. Oh, and I'm so glad you saw that movie because I I I can't I can't wait. Yeah, Um, it was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. Awesome, awesome. Did you see um, A Star Is Born? No, I tried to convince. So I had the day off and me and my husband, we um, bombed our house because our kids have been getting a lot of spider bites. Oh, um, no. so we uh, fumigated and we had to do something for a couple hours. So we went to the movies and I was like, come on, please see Star is Born with me. please." Then he wouldn't do it. We fucking fused. So we, <laughs> we, we saw Venom instead, which was pretty good if you're a Marvel fan. Yeah. Uh, well, it blew it blew a Star is Born out of the water, I think. Shut up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you did see a Star Is Born. I did, and um, the acting was great. They they acted their asses off, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, the story was like, eh. you know, this one. The acting was great. The story yeah. was great. Uh, the music was great. Everything was great. So. Oh my god! I can't wait. Okay. Thank you. You're I'm welcome. So, <laughs> uh, so me. Uh, I'm. 
Okay. <laughs> my husband, I was going to, I just wanted just to, just so you guys could take a deep dive into who I am. <laughs> my husband and I have been struggling with fertility. We always have since we've been um, together. And um, we have been trying to get pregnant for the past three and a half years and it hasn't worked. So um, part of me has been like, oh my God, <laughs> I cannot bring another brown kid into this terrible ass world. But then another part of me is like, yes. I need the tax breaks. <laughs> so when, when you're not in the top one one percent, that's how that's how poor people. That's do. how you think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we found a different fertility doctor. So fingers crossed. And um, I'm fighting racism by making more brown babies. Yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, where's the hip hop air horn? <laughs> um, but in all honesty, I am extremely anxious about these midterms. Like I I want to just um lock myself in my house for the next 24 hours and somebody just like somebody just like call me and g- tell let, me what let happened. me know I, what happened yeah I, I mean I'm I will not be able to help myself I will be hitting refresh on Twitter every five fucking seconds <laughs> <laughs> for the next, next day I don't even know if I'll be able to get any work done tomorrow but uh so <laughs> I, since I can't lock myself in my room, I'm reserving the right to take the day off on Wednesday in case shit hits the fan and the results are just too devastating on uh, Tuesday evening. Uh, after Good the idea. Meeting, yes, ma'am. I was in no condition to work on November 10th, 2016. I mean, my eyes my eyes were swollen shut from crying. I know. I mean, I mean, everywhere I went, I was like snot coming out of my eyes. I, had, I wore sunglasses all day. I was like, <laughs> let's go eat our feelings like I was so depressed Uh, but the good news is by the time this episode airs the midterms will be over all of the votes will have been counted no one's vote will have been suppressed amen and um, everyone will have voted and balance will be restored right Fruit Loops gang right right that's right that's right so we can we can hope yeah we can hope (laughs) so uh (laughs) let's get into our uh our mailbag and yes (laughs) we have mail (laughs) and check our listener letters take it away bev (laughs) i just wanted to give a huge shout out to amanda who became a patron this week Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) You're awesome. And we'll be sending your Fruit Loops button this week. Mm -hmm. Also, I was messaged by Eugene, who wanted to know if we were two white chicks talking about serial killers of color. (laughs) And he felt that it was very important that we were not. (laughs) Oh, yes. I agree. And we're not, well, I'm white with uh-huh. an African ancestor, so I'm 2% <laughs> African. <laughs> but Wendy is African American and Central American, and I think I accidentally told Eugene South American, so I'm sorry, Wendy. You are forgiven. It, I'll allow it. <laughs> so you- they, start, they both started with a sound, so, you know. <laughs> so uh, uh, we mentioned this in in season one. So uh, uh, just to recap, uh, I am half Latinx 
and half African American. And Beth is the OG of true crime with a little 2% of flavor. Amen. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> when we're talking about race, uh, we are uh, qualified in that I am a person of color, but Beth is also an exemplary um what, what should I call you? I don't want to call you a white lady because you're more than you're more than just a white lady. Uh, but somebody, I just have a, a, a lot of knowledge about true crime. That's all. A, knowledge, a lot of knowledge about true crime and uh, somebody who's willing. We need more white people like you, Beth. I'm telling you, uh, willing to <laughs> talk about race stuff. So that's why we're a, a, a super team. The super the uh, super group. Yeah. Super group. That's right. So um, anyway, Eugene, thanks for expressing your concern. Um, and thanks for telling me that I sound like a white lady. A story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so growing, growing up, I would get, you talk white. Or, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I meet a lot of people um, and I have to make arrangements to meet with them over the phone. And when they, when they meet me, they're like, oh, shit, I had no idea that you were a black person. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, their eyes like, pop out of their heads. Their eyes pop out of their head, and they like spin like you know Rick did, and when he saw Carl, <laughs> and, you know what I mean. It's just people are very surprised. So uh, I understand Eugene. By the way, Eugene was my grandpa's name. Anyway, um, we got a very lovely email from a listener named Amber, um, and it's a little long, but Amber, we thank you for all of your kind words. Um, she said, uh, I discovered your excellent podcast while searching for more about Clementine Barnabet. Uh, I just read the book, The Man from the Train, The Solving of a Century-Old Serial Killer Mystery. Uh, that's the title of the book by Bill and Rachel James. And I'm obsessed with it. He talked a little bit about Clementine Barnabet. So I wanted to know more. And she told us from 1911, 1912, saw a rash of familicide axe murderers, some supposedly committed by Clementine Barnabet and the New Orleans ex-murderer who might have actually been an Italian immigrant living in Louisiana at the time. But as you know, that was never solved. Now, um, go back to season one and listen to our episode about Clementine Barnabet. Um, we uh, took a very deep dive into the time and 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 her as a, as a human being and the sick ass shit that she did. Um, my <laughs> Now this is this is Amber. My takeaway from your podcast and the book is that Clementine Barnabet was just a little crazy and wanted the attention she garnered from confessing to all those murderers. Agree. Um, Bill James believes that some, but not all, of the murderers she claimed ownership to were actually the work of Paul Mueller or, or the man from the train. He was a German immigrant who. Uh, might have returned to Germany following a very bloody time spent all over America. He attributes over a hundred murders to this man. Oh my gosh. Holy but cow. Like, and he yeah. does have <laughs> a very specific MO of killing his victims, all families with the blunt side of the ax among many other telltale signs. Um, so she's recommending this book. Again, it's called The Man from the Train, The Solving of a Century-Old Serial Killer Mystery. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. She said she couldn't put it down. And happy podcasting, signed Amber. And Amber also gave us a PS. Lobotomies were very popular in 1950s. Remember, we talked about lobotomies during that episode. Rosemary Kennedy being one of the most famous cases of somebody who underwent a lobotomy. But I suppose it's possible 
possible that they lobotomized Clementine Barnabet as well. So Amber, thank you so much. We see you, boo. Yeah, thank you. That was a great letter. Lots of interesting information. And yeah, loved it. Yes, love it. And so um, maybe we'll have to go back and uh, revisit that one. Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, any serial killer or crime news, Ben? Yeah, I have one that contains one of your favorite things, Wendy. (gasps) Oprah? (laughs) (laughs) One of your other favorite things. (laughs) DNA. (laughs) I am here for every minute of DNA. Let's go. (laughs) So uh, this is a story in Arizona. Uh, DNA evidence has led Avondale, Arizona police to a man that they believe is responsible for the murder of a female jogger in 2012. Police arrested 24-year-old Francisco Alejandro Lopez, and he's being accused of killing a female jogger near 107th Avenue and Indian School on December 16, 2012. And the naked woman was found hunched over a wall by a man looking for cans behind a business in the area. Uh, Police said she was dragged from the sidewalk on Indian School Road to an area behind the store. And Lopez is accused of brutally raping the woman and causing extreme physical trauma to her face. Police report that the woman, who was an avid jogger, fought back against Lopez. uh, And the case remained unsolved until May of this year when Lopez, who who apparently... uh, was in trouble for something else was given probation on a criminal damage conviction. And Mm -hmm. as part of his probation, he was forced to submit a DNA sample. And I remember we talked about that in another Mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how we didn't know that uh, they have to do that now, but I'm glad they do. Yeah. And on Tuesday, Avondale police got word that the DNA matched that of the suspect in this case. And police say at the time, Lopez lived within 700 yards of the murder scene behind Mm -hmm. Westview High School, where he was a student. Wait a minute. He was in high school when he did this He was in high school. The murder happened three days before his 18th birthday. Oh, Lord. Yeah. And when he was arrested, Lopez reportedly told police that he attended a house party that night and had been drinking. He then remembers waking up next to a partially nude woman behind the business. Oh, fuck. That was a terrible story. Thank you for the serial killer crime news. You're welcome for that terrible story. Thank you for the terrible news. (laughs) I feel great now. Um, So uh, my news is, well, I was going to talk about the rise in hate crimes, but you don't need me to tell you all of that. You can just watch (laughs) it yourself or look outside of your window. So I've decided to pivot. Um, This news story came to us from Amanda in our Fruit Loops pod discussion group. Thank you, Sister Amanda. So the story goes, in Durham, North Carolina, a young black man who has been missing since January may have been killed and fed to hogs as retaliation for stealing cocaine from a local drug dealer. 26-year-old Charleston Prentice Goodman 
What a good name. Charlton, Charleston <laughs> Preston, Prentice Goodman was last seen arguing with a group of men on January 26th. Um, witnesses saw them shove Goodman into a minivan and they drove off. Someone saw his dead body in the back of the van a couple days later. And a CI, confidential informant, told police that a drug dealer had evidence that Goodman stole two bricks of cocaine and the dealer hired a crew to kidnap Goodman. Police were told that Goodman's body was wrapped in plastic bags and stored at an unknown location before it was dumped and fed to hogs. This story is developing. So there, if there are any new developments that we find uh, about, you know, we can certainly update the Facebook discussion group. And likewise, Fruit Gang, we're trying to figure out which name will stick for our fans. <laughs> Fruit Gang. <laughs> If you discover any updates, please share it in the Facebook group or anywhere else you can find us on social media or face, you know, voicemail or, or email. So uh, let's take a quick break. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. Okay, back to the show. So again, if you are listening to this episode and have not listened to part one of the Maury Travis story, thank you so much for listening to our show. But I really think you might want to stop the episode here so you can get the first part of the story and you won't be, you know, lost. Right. So this is part two of the story of Maury Travis, also known as the St. Louis Video Strangler. Um, in our last episode, we took a deep dive into his early life and crimes. Mm. And his crimes took place in Ferguson, Missouri. Ever heard of it? And some took place across the border in Illinois. He had 12 to 17 victims from 2000 to 2002. He also got into... we Or we... <laughs> That's Beth and Wendy. Hello. We also got into the history of St. Louis from the civil rights movement to the crack epidemic and how race plays a very important part in the story. They play a race plays an important part in all of our stories. So, yes, yes. And when we ended episode one, as of March 2002, the bodies of 13 women had turned up dead. They were women of color with histories of addiction, and many were sex workers. The FBI was working with local police to try and solve the case. So here we go. Now let's uh, jump in with both feet back into the story. Now we're going to dive into the investigation. So on May 19th, 2002, Bill Smith, a reporter for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, wrote a long article about Teresa Wilson, one of the victims who had been found murdered and dumped in a roadside ditch. This article attempted to humanize the victim. Wow, way to go, Bill Smith, and spoke about her love for her daughter. Then on uh, May 21st, 2002, Smith received a letter and a map in the mail. The American flag, the stamp, was affixed neatly upside down, and the return address cited a sadomasochistic website devoted to naked women in chains. So I was going to Google what this website was, but then I thought, oh, I don't want the FBI on my tail. <laughs> the yeah, I decided not to. 
you guys can Google it if you want to, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to put it in there. Nah. Um, plus, I also kind of think that. <laughs> You know how like police are watching people's Google searches now? Like we're researching so much. Oh yeah. <laughs> now like I'm sure they're on to us. <laughs> anyway, they're probably listening to our listening to our phones now. and everything. <laughs> uh, so, um inside uh the letter under a bizarre graphic of flowers, rakes and a beehive, Smith found a chilling note typed in red. Nice sob story about Teresa Wilson, it said. Write one about Greenwade. Write a good one, and I'll tell you where many others are. To prove I'm real, here's directions to number 17. Search in a 50-yard radius from the X. Put the story in the Sunday paper like the last one. The second sheet of paper contained a map of nearby West Alton, marked with an X. Smith believed that it was a prank. But he turned over the letter to the police, and on May 25th, 2002, police searched the area referenced in the letter marked with an X. An unidentified woman's skeleton was found where the map said it would be. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Very much. Yeah. (laughs) The letter's return address was in New York, but it was fraudulent, and as we mentioned, it referenced a sadomasochist website. The letter was actually postmarked in St. Louis, and through some investigation, it was found that the map had been downloaded from Expedia, and Expedia was the only site that offered that particular map. That's how we know this happened in the early 2000s, because Expedia was one of the only... Yeah. The only, and there's the map <laughs> trash! <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Police wanted to know the identities of all of the people who had accessed the map between the date that the Post-Dispatch article was published and when the letter was postmarked. And only one computer had downloaded that map during the time. The IP address was located and an investigation was done. And Travis's home was identified as the location where the map had been downloaded. Now, nothing good comes from the Internet except for this show. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're going to get into uh, Travis's arrest. All right. So uh, police looked into Maury Travis and learned that police had been called on him previously when he had gotten into a confrontation with a sex worker at his home. He was angry because she was a sex worker and a mother and not home with her children. He became increasingly angry with her and she grew scared. Duh. She was able to escape and called the police. They were con- there were conflicting stories about what exactly had happened and nothing was done, of course. A female co-worker at the restaurant Travis worked at was questioned. She said that Travis had a very aggressive personality and that he was always hitting on her and trying to ask her out. And then he talked about sex all the time. She gave police some stationery that Travis used at work, and it was the same weird-ass stationery that he used to write the letter to reporter Bill Smith. Ooh, gotcha. Early in the morning on Friday, June 7th, 2002, uh, the police and FBI agents arrived at Travis's house with a search warrant. They banged on the door of his house, and Travis met them in his underwear, groggy and agitated. Like, what are you guys doing here? What the, what, what the fuck? <laughs> 
And Travis complained that the investigators woke him up at seven in the morning and asked what they were doing there. How dare they? You know why we're here, they told him. (laughs) Investigators questioned Travis in his living room, which they described as a very normal living room in a very normal house. A police sergeant, Tim Sachs, and an FBI profiler talked with Travis as two other investigators waited nearby. And they sat there for the next two hours, investigators trying to engage Travis in small talk and Travis deflecting questions one by one. Where did you grow up? They asked. Where did you grow up? Travis asked. Uh, What did you do as a child? They asked. Nothing, he said. Went to school. What did you do? He kept trying to redirect everything, every question, Sachs said. He wanted to be in control. Where have you heard this before, Wendy? Um. Well, uh, I feel like you're directing me towards an answer, and I can't think of one. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> the ca- the Kavanaugh hearings. hearings. No, and okay, it's not just Kavanaugh. It's also that. Okay, yeah, we're glad Clarence Thomas is a black guy on the Supreme Court, but he's not caping for any person of color, like. He did the same Mm-mm. thing in hearings uh, in 1992. Yep. So, uh, look, if you ain't guilty, the truth don't get mad and don't need to ask stupid questions. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Uh, don't You don't have to redirect everything not, and uh, av- yeah. avoid answering questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so he never admitted anything, they said, but he never denied anything either. He seemed more interested in how they... Uh, had been able to find him. He wanted to know what led us there. He, how we knew that he was the guy sex said. Finally, investigators told him about the map. He had, he had a problem when he downloaded the map. They told him, uh, Travis cursed expletive computer. And I'm guessing <laughs> I can only, I can only guess. It <laughs> may have been the F word. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and he said, damn the internet, which is something like your grandpa would say. Damn internet. <laughs> Dag nabbit, that damn internet. <laughs> Dag nabbit. <laughs> <laughs> so Travis agreed to accompany them downtown where he was interrogated for hours. He denied any childhood abuse and told officers that he was born the way that he was, that he'd always been that way, and that they wouldn't understand. Um, That sounds like a guilty fellow to me. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Police were mainly concerned with learning more about the victims, as we are too. The letter had referenced 17 victims, but they only knew about 10. We need you to help us, Sachs told him. We need closure for the families of these victims. According to Sergeant Sachs, Travis sneered. <laughs> victims, Travis replied. To Sachs, the message was cold and clear. To him, Sachs said, these women were less than human. He never saw any signs of remorse or guilt. Uh, yeah. During questioning, Travis asked for a soda. The can was later swabbed for DNA police were able to match his DNA with the biological material left on some of the bodies. When police searched Travis's home, they found a torture chamber in the basement with bondage equipment, including restraints that appeared stained with blood, a stun gun, women's wigs and shoes, 
and clippings about the slayings that he was suspected of. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, that's not good for anybody. Not good for him. <laughs> no, not yeah. for him, but golly, all the accessories he had to, to, to torture Yeah. Him. Oh, my goodness. Um, police found that the walls and ceiling and even furniture in the basement had been splattered with blood. They also found two cars at the house, one with a Goodrich Advantage tire and the other with a Bridgestone Potenza tire. And they found drafts of the letter sent to the newspaper on the hard drive of Travis's computer. And the tires are important. I don't know if you remember. We In the last episode, we described um, each of the killings. And um, two of the victims were found with tire marks either on them or near them. Yeah, that matched these tires. Yeah. Yep. So uh, they also found a videotape containing footage of his crimes. The tape labeled Your Wedding Day showed Travis tormenting the women verbally, taunting them about their fate, and haranguing some of them over how they had abandoned their children for crack. He forced them to say things like uh, making them call him their master Mm -hmm. and saying that they wanted to please him. Yeah, and there is a documentary out about Mr. Travis and they partially showed um, clips of some of the um, video or or played some of the audio or something, but you can hear um, one of his victims like calling him master and basically begging for her life. Um, Yeah. It's pretty horrible. It is very horrible. The, so this wedding video showed Travis tying women up, torturing and raping them One scene showed him apparently strangling one of his victims to death. The scenes on the tape were so disturbing that the uh, police chief, Joe Malqua, ordered um, psychological counseling for the officers who viewed them. Um, He said, they'll give you nightmares. By the way, when I hear that something will give you nightmares or that the following might be disturbing, (laughs) I want to see it. That's just me, though. Investigators also found hand-drawn plans that Travis had made. They were plans to expand his basement dungeon and create secret holding cells so he could hold women for for long periods of time, I suppose, and hold several of them. Oh, God. Well, thank goodness he was caught. Yes. 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 <laughs> Travis was charged with two federal counts of kidnapping and taken to the St. Louis County Jail to await further charges. Um, so now we're going to get into the trial. But wait, <laughs> tell us more, Beth. There never was a trial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, U.S. Marshal- Marshals asked jailers to put him on suicide watch. County officials later admit taking a taking few precautions against suicide. And on June 10th, three days after his arrest, Travis was found hanged in his cell. Mm. He'd written a suicide note and investigators ruled his death a suicide. I heard that his note was addressed to his mom. It was written to his mom. Um, oh, was it? I don't remember where, where I saw that. And so I'm not going to elaborate on it more, but that was my understanding. That's why I was under the impression that he really liked his mom. So... Yeah, I was also un- under the impression that he did he did care about his mother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, where are they now? Well, <laughs> as Beth said, Travis committed suicide, but because of the evidence, there was no doubt that he committed these crimes. 
And in 2014, a woman rented a house in Missouri. Everything was going fine until a relative told her to watch a true crime documentary on TV. It turns out that the house she was renting was Maury Travis's house, where he killed his victims. Santa Maria. Oh, no. <laughs> she even recognized some of the furniture in the documentary as furniture that she'd been using. All right. You know what? You could keep this house. I am out of here. Goodbye. <laughs> so, so that's what she said. So she contacted the landlord to try to get out of the lease. And it turned out that the landlord was Maury's mom. She oh, that's so ah! nuts. <laughs> oh man. She did not want to let the woman out of her lease. But the housing authority eventually got involved, thank goodness, and she was allowed to break the lease. Yeah. I was just thinking that would be so uncomfortable. But I have often wondered if you if somebody was killed in a house that you live that you live in, can you get a discount on the sale of that house? I don't know. I think it de- I think it depends because I think yes, you I believe the the Amityville house um yes. you know the Amityville oh, horror. Yes, I do. Uh I just listen to how stuff works, you know, the podcast. Anyway, oh, okay. Did they cover the Amityville house? They covered the house, and um, they got into detail about the news about the house, the people who lived in the house. Their conclusion was it was phony baloney, but yeah. um, I can't remember. I can't remember if they said that the people that people now can, if anybody were to buy that house, they could get a discount on it or not. I don't know, but I just always wondered that. Um, well, the the people who did buy the house, they did get a discount, and that's how they were able to afford it. Um, they got a discount because uh, I think his name was Ronnie DeFeo. He hung himself. Yes, killed his. In- he he. No, he killed his oh, entire oh, family. Oh, he killed his whole. Okay, okay. Yes, yes, yes. He killed his entire family in the house. And he was he was like a kid or a teenager. Um. Yeah, I think he he was adult. Uh, I don't think he was a teenager. I think he was like twenty or somewhere around there. Okay. Um, but yeah, he killed his entire family. He yes. had several brothers and sisters. I want to say somewhere around four and his parents. Um, yeah. And so, and that's why they thought it was haunted was because of that crime. And that's why they were able to afford the house because it was a really expensive house. It had like a boat dock and in a, in a really nice neighborhood, and I don't think they would have been able to afford it otherwise. Yeah, but then, um, interestingly, I guess the people who bought the house really cheap moved out within, like, less than a month or something like that. Um, yeah, it was pretty yes, quick. They moved quickly. Yeah, because that they thought it was haunted. But some yeah. people speculate that they moved out because they realized, oh, shit, we can't really afford this big-ass house. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 possible, but there there is a uh documentary I think it's called My Amityville Horror. Okay. And they talk to uh one of the um children. Oh. And he he claims that he did experience some paranormal stuff. Oh. Oh. So well, well, I, don't I, know. Don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, I recommend watching that one if you if you you're interested in that story. Sorry. Just check that out. We go on tangents sometimes, listeners. Yes, we do. <laughs> it's just something to deal but, with. But it's all interesting stuff. 
<laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I think in some cases you can get a discount <laughs> on a house if somebody's been murdered in it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So back, back to the story. Right. Um, So Maury's mom uh, didn't want to let her, the lady out of the lease, but she finally let her out of it. Um, And she claimed that she disclosed the information to the renter, but the renter denied that saying that she probably would have remembered the people being murdered in the basement part. Yes. A detail that it would be difficult to forget. Certainly. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) what made him snap? Um, I'll start. (laughs) I think that the crack and subsequent imprisonment. So, um, uh, back in episode, the first part of this episode, we, um, talked about how, uh, Maury Travis got locked up for a drug charge. He went wild on spring break guys. Like girls gone wild to the max except it was a dude <laughs> robbed a bunch of people uh and so i think it, we think his imprisonment made him snap i mean he wrote about how just how awful the conditions were um also he hated his addiction and the women who um he killed i think were representations of that addiction that he had um also the american prison industrial complex is notorious for hardening people in the worst ways it's the opposite yeah. of rehabilitation. Also, um, he had no chance after that, in my in my opinion, um, after that experience happened to him. We've talked about before uh, about the importance of prison report, reform. I personally think that we should abolish prisons. Um, and uh, I think, you know, think about it, okay? Prison is a terrible solution to the difficult problems that we have as a society haven't really tried to solve in other more innovative innovative ways. Most of the people in prison are there because of mental illness or addictions that that led them there. So, how about we choose treatment instead of instead of prisons? Um, you know, people who have enough to live and eat and earn a living wage usually don't have to commit crimes. So, how about tackling homelessness and poverty? caging and controlling people does not make us any safer and clearly it contributed to travis becoming the murderous monster that he was yeah i agree uh it seems like putting this guy in prison only made him worse like you said and i think that's not unusual and it's possible he would not have killed if he had never got that jail time for uh his drug issues um i don't know uh, there's really no way of ever knowing uh, whether or not he would have gone on to kill. But uh, I think it didn't help. That's for sure. No. And um, I also watched an episode of a TV show called FBI Criminal Pursuit about uh, Maury Travis. And uh, they said that there's a strong possibility that Travis was sexually abused by a female relative when he was young. Now, they didn't really um, have any proof of that. I think it was just the FBI uh, profiling and yeah. they felt that he may have been sexually abused, but um, I, I don't know. And yeah. we'll yeah. never know. Cause he killed himself. 
Yeah. So. But I'm not an FBI profiler, just a true crime stan. And uh, I don't, uh, I, well, I don't know for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if that was. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be either. Yeah. So uh, let's get into our takeaways. Uh, again, I'll start because I'm a bitch. Sorry. <laughs> 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 it's very first this this doc this outline we created. Sorry. Uh, so to <laughs> me, <laughs> it is interesting that um, Travis did not have the same ingredients that all of the other more famous serial killers that we um, have heard about or that we've even talked about on the show have. You know, he didn't have a brain injury. Um, it seemed like he loved his mom. Uh, he didn't wet the bed or torture animals. He did fall behind in school, but he still managed to go to get into college in HBC, baby. Uh, also, <laughs> we talked about HBCs, historically black colleges, everybody. Um, listen to episode, uh, whatever the one before this is. Also, I wish we knew more about these victims. Amen. Not to mention, he killed himself, so there could be more out there. And the cases are going to remain cold, unfortunately. And um, I found a really, really, really gory graphic photo of a possible victim of Travis's. But the source was kind of sketchy, so I, I, I didn't go with it or po- post it on our website. But even if it wasn't one of his victims, it was a horrible reminder of how brutal Travis was. I mean, the the ladies. So when when there's when your body when a body is dead. <laughs> Um, it like bloats up, it like swells up with all the gases and juices in your, in your, in your intestines. Um, and there mm-hmm. were like maggots and flies all over your body. Anyway, it was just a horrible reminder about how brutal Travis was and the disregard he had for human life by just, he just dumped these women's bodies somewhere naked. And, you know, nude is like a super vulnerable position. So he just like left them yeah. there be humiliated um these women didn't deserve that even if they were on drugs um i also thought about uh, you know the the people that lost these women you know like their kids and their siblings and their parents and their partners um so yeah there's not just one victim when somebody dies you're right there's or when somebody's murdered it's there's a whole family and friends they're all victims yes yes so uh that's my takeaway what do you got, Beth? Well, uh, yeah, he seemed pretty normal when he was younger. Um, and then uh, his his real crimes started. In any case, he started killing mm-hmm. after he got a, out of jail. Um, to me, his crimes indicated that he was a sexual sadist. And I was curious to know if sexual sadists were psychopaths or not. And I was surprised to learn that they are not necessarily psychopaths. Oh. Uh, Sexual sadists get off on watching victims in pain. They are actually tuned into what their victims are feeling. They experience it vicariously and are aroused by it. That's what makes them a sexual sadist. That's terrifying. I know. (laughs) Psychopaths, on the other hand tend to be indifferent to the emotions of others. If you cry because a psychopath was not nice to you, mm-hmm. um, it probably doesn't matter to them. They don't care. Uh, they, they're not moved and they don't feel anything about what you, what you feel. They're just like maybe annoyed. Um, but sadists do feel. Oh. 
I also read that sadistic personality disorder can occur in unison with other personality disorders. Mm -hmm. And studies have also found that sadistic personality disorder is the personality disorder with the highest level of comorbidity to other types of psychopathological disorders. Uh Uh-oh. But sadism has also been found in patients who do not display any other forms of psychopathic disorders. And I don't know why I never really thought about it before, um, because there are people who are sadomasochists Mm -hmm. who had never heard anyone outside of role-playing games. You know, um, and Travis (laughs) (laughs) and Travis obviously got something out of kidnapping, torturing and killing, which is way beyond what people who are into, say, uh, BDSM do. Right. So there probably was some comorbidity involved. But I'm not a psychologist, and I don't really know what that comorbidity might be. Mm. I also thought it was interesting that, like Anthony Soule, Travis found his victims in sex workers and addicts. Mm -hmm. But he would get angry with them because they were doing crack and not living lifestyles that he approved of, even though, you know, he hired them. Yeah. And, and he was crack. doing crack. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> so it's like he expected women to behave differently, uh, to be better than men, I guess, to be, you know, some, something that he could put on a pedestal, mm-hmm. um, which also, uh, kind of jives with, uh, loving his mother, you know, his, his mother was probably somebody that he put on a pedestal mm-hmm. and women who who didn't behave in the way that he thought they should were were less than yes. human, you know? Yeah. And kind of like the Madonna whore complex, but on steroids. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know what the Madonna whore so uh, the Madonna whore complex is when uh, a man will think of women as either Madonnas or whores. Uh, they hold women up on pedestals. And if they don't uh, live up to his expectations, uh-huh. then they're automatically whores. Oh. You know, it's one or the other. Yo, Very black and white thinking. Yeah. Oh. So, of course, women are not going to. Uh, live up to their expectations so then they they get angry yeah oh thank you for explaining sure so if if they didn't meet up to his standards i suppose uh then i guess he believed they deserved what they got and that they deserved to die okay <laughs> wow give it up everybody for the og <laughs> true crime <laughs> Bad. Williams, thank you for all of your acknowledgement. I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> like this show would be uh, literally me just talking shit for thirty minutes if you were not on it. So thank you so much. Yeah, but you're the you're the entertaining one. So <laughs> allegedly, some people do not. <laughs> Well, I think so. I I don't think this show would be anything without you, Wendy. 
Oh, bless your heart. Well, I'm having I'm having such a fun time just recording the show. I was talking to another yeah. podcaster <laughs> this week. I had lunch with another podcaster. She, her show is uh, it's called Sexual Spirituality. Hello, vava boo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, also by my girl Leslie Goodwin, and um, they talk about like uh, spirituality and stuff, but like in a real world context, like um. I can't give an example right now. Uh, too much, too much Kirkland vodka. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but um, what I, what we were talking about, what we were commiserating about was just how fun podcasting is. We have a really good time talking about these things that we're really passionate about. And so I just yeah. love in this show because it's so good. So, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> And we hope you guys are having fun too. Exactly. Moving along, how not to get murdered. Get ready. Uh, <laughs> if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. And sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode. It will just offer up generic tips. So um, let's Keep in mind, everybody, that we all have less than a 1% chance of getting killed by a serial killer. <laughs> so don't be in that lucky 1%. <laughs> That's how you don't get killed. I'm noticing a little trend with these tribes. <laughs> the victims um, are often vulnerable women, sex workers, young children, um, addicts, etc., etc. But I'd like to put it out there to you guys, the Fruit Loops gang, the fruities. Um, I'm going to put out a hashtag uh, sometime in the next 72 hours. The election really has me fucked up. So when I get <laughs> that, I will put out a hashtag how not to get murdered. Um, and Fruit Loops gang, please tweet, Facebook post, join the conversation on Instagram, call us at 602-935-6294, or send us an email. Everything is at Fruit Loops Pod. Um, and tell us your tips uh, for how to, uh, for hashtag how to not get murdered. And we may just meet, read them on the show. I think that's a great idea. I love that idea, Wendy. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so, right. uh, let's move along. This next part of our show is, um, where we shout out to any contact by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. So what do you got for us, Beth? Oh, I got a podcast that I'm listening to. Uh, the series is not done yet. Uh, it's called Gladiator, Aaron Hernandez and Football Incorporated. Mm. And it's about... Aaron Hernandez, obviously. <laughs> and if you don't know anything about him, he was an NFL player for the Patriots who killed a guy and probably killed several other people as well. I it's a him. pretty <laughs> crazy story. Yes. yes. 
And this podcast goes really in depth into the story. I had, I had heard some other podcasts about it, but this one really goes in depth. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Hernandez's brother, Jonathan, published a book recently about their childhood and his recollections of his brother. I haven't read it yet, but it's going on my reading list. It is not going on my reading list because I read very slow and don't enjoy reading. But <laughs> if the audiobook comes out, I will probably listen to it. But this podcast is fucking fire. So I absolutely love it. Um I I I have I have a huge crush on Aaron Hernandez. I always have since since he was drafted. And I was re- like I just was rooting for him. I was so sad when he got arrested and when he got convicted and then and then when he was found dead. And by the way, CTE guys is um uh, just uh, a terrible disease of the brain, but and and I, we can only diagnose it now when people are dead. Aaron Hernandez has the worst case of CTE ever on record, um, and I That's crazy might explain some of his behavior. Yeah, um, and he was a very very good looking dude. So fucking handsome! Oh my god, he was on my list. Yeah. Um, you know. The- <laughs> <laughs> if your husband gives you permission, to yes, cheat. the list you can yeah. cheat. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so, but he was, he was, so he's on my list. I'm so stupid. <laughs> anyway, he was, he was a, but he was a really, really good football player. Um, but <laughs> after hearing this podcast or the the the, uh, the podcast you just recommended, he was a handful, and nobody really liked. Yeah. He was a hot mess. A hot mess. But you you learn CTE and then the environment that he grew up in kind of contributed to sort of how how he became. But anyway, um, I wanted to recommend making a murderer, and I was gonna just recommend season two, but I have to recommend season one because season two, I'm not quite sure about i'm not sure if i love it as much as i loved season one yet season one blew my fucking mind and season two it's got me interested um it's the story of the murder of Teresa hallbeck and Stephen avery and um his younger i think it was his nephew brandon nancy dassey yeah um mm-hmm. so avery and dassey were convicted of the crimes of sexual assault and murder uh, of the young Teresa Hallback. And um, to me, I don't believe for one second that either of them did it. That's just me. <laughs> Probably. I could be wrong. I thought OJ was innocent for a long time, but I think after, <laughs> after and a lot of black people thought he was innocent. Uh, I think after Avery got released from prison, after he was wrongly convicted of that rape, then the cops were just like, like they couldn't, like let him go um and again i i think they're innocent uh i also am really glad that the show is so popular because even non-people of color i'm specifically speaking to white people can see how <laughs> our justice system is and how easily it can fuck the shit out of you um and yeah. so uh yeah, i recommend yeah that. it's it's uh useful just for that if yeah. you know the story is really interesting, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really just takes, it just takes one accusation, one person, um, 
identifying the wrong person. I mean, it, it can go so, so many things can happen to put you behind bars and make you just, um, you could lose everything. Um, and yeah, it, ruin your life, ruin your life. And, and you could be completely innocent. And it's so, um, people say, our system is the greatest system in the world and it could be, but there's a lot of problems with it. So, yeah. Um, so watch making a murderer season one and two. I also should not take a second stab, but I, I can't shut up enough about this. Like I've been, go for it (laughs) for the new episodes to come up, but, uh, I have to have to recommend Patriot act on Netflix and it's hosted by, uh, Hassan, Hassan Minaj. Um, remember the, uh, Indian guy from the daily show who is super funny. Um, first of all, his show is, it's like a late night style kind of show, but he doesn't have a desk. He walks around on the stage. Um, and it only comes on, it's once a week. There are three episodes out now. One about affirmative action, one about Saudi Arabia, one about Amazon. Now this Amazon one was really good because even though Amazon is an asshole to like small mom and pop businesses, uh, uh, mama still needs a cell phone charger and hot sauce and i am not about to get in my car and drive to the store and get them um menage's perspective is so necessary especially in these times and um there has never been i've never seen a show like this i've never seen a host a brown host on tv and it's a hilarious it's informative it's edgy it's fearless um so please get your life together and add um patriot act to your netflix queue so we'll do yes please do it's so good so uh beth where can the people find us well our website is fruitloopspod.com our facebook page is fruit loops pod and our discussion group is fruit loops pod discussion on facebook we are also on twitter and instagram at fruit loops pod uh, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page, which is patron.podbean.com forward slash Fruit Loops pod. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And we'll put all this information on our website so you can look it up. You don't have to memorize all that. Nope. And you can also support the show by giving us a five-star review on iTunes. Five star. Or anywhere else that you get your <laughs> podcasts from. Yes, 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 yes. So everybody, listen close. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, welcome up, guys. It's crazy out there.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 3 a.m. The comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters, it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Let's go.